Hello. In this interview, I asked four, yes, four teachers, two of which have retired, and one head of school, two questions. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> and those are, how can a teacher facilitate a classroom in which students feel safe to share differing opinions? And the follow-up question is a prompt to share a memory of when they shared a different opinion in class. If you are a current or former teacher or student, please, please submit your own written answers to these two questions. You can email them to me at jack at caferibbit.com. And I will likely post your written answers to the caferibbit.com blog post. So you can read everybody else's answers there as well. And you can be anonymous or named. So why am I asking these questions? <laughs> well, I graduated college two years ago, and it was quite a nightmare for me socially because I totally isolated myself. I was scared of my classmates. <laughs> and it feels very silly to say now. Um, but I think it was a nightmare socially for a lot of college students during the Trump administration, because like the rest of the country, college campuses were very divisive. And I went to art school, which was a pretty homogenous group or at least homogenous in terms of people felt pressure to think in a very similar way. And most of the controversial or heated topics were around identity politics. So for me as a white guy, I basically was just trying to not fit the white guy stereotype that I thought my classmates had, um, which was white men are the source of all problems. Um, and it, yeah, it just sounds like a hyperbole now, but in the moment I really thought that's what everyone thought. So yeah, instead of me sharing different opinions in class or expressing my doubts about the healthiness of living with identity politics at the forefront of our minds in terms of how we treat each other or how we think about ourselves, instead of expressing that, I just retreated to my bedroom from junior to senior year, working really hard on my schoolwork um, and not taking the risk of socializing and perhaps fitting any piece of that white man stereotype who is the source of all problems. Um, and through that, I didn't grow very much because 
If I did say something that wasn't cool or was hurtful to someone, then I would have learned from that. But instead, I just chose to isolate myself because I was so scared of being socially ousted. But if you're not really interested in the why I'm conducting this interview, uh, it's still really valuable to hear what these teachers say because they range in teaching grades from first grade all the way up to graduate school. So there's a lot of material unrelated to my personal why. And if you don't listen to anything else, please at least listen to a slightly off-topic story that I had to include at the end of the interview. Barbara Given tells a story of living in rural Kansas in the sixth grade. And at this point, she still couldn't read. So whenever her class had a reading activity, her teacher would send her to the custodian. And it's the story of Barbara and this custodian becoming buddies and him passing his wisdom down to her. And he's also the first black man that Barbara ever met. So really fascinating story. It sounds like a movie when you listen to it. All right. Enjoy. Mrs. Mastriano was my 10th grade English teacher at Lower Marion High School. And she's been in education for over 40 years. And she just retired this past year. And I learned in this conversation that before wanting to be a teacher, she wanted to be involved in theater. And that was very evident in the assignments she gave us, like acting out Shakespeare plays and turning books into plays of our own. So within education, she was in special education, a reading specialist, and she also helped young parents get their GEDs and taught these parents how to teach their young children. And then, of course, uh, was an English teacher for a long time. So without further ado, here is Kobe Bryant's favorite high school teacher. <laughs> how can a teacher facilitate a classroom in which it's okay for students to share differing opinions? writing this down. I think I talked a little bit about that already when I was saying that um, people do things for reasons. The, the girl who was so much, the girl who assaulted me at, at Southern Home was absolutely operating from her own experience. She had reasons for doing what she was doing. We all want to be successful. Our definitions of success may be different, but, and they may be flawed. It may be it may be costly, um, but if we understand what the reasons are, if we can figure out and listen to each other in terms of what the reasons are for um, defining success in a certain way or ha creating a certain life path, um, why a student sells drugs at, at a high school, for example, can come out of very principled moral compulsion 
Um, there are morally grounded reasons um, why students do things that are illegal, that are going to be costly to other people, like, for example, selling drugs. The important thing is to, it, it's not only okay to have different opinions, it's absolutely essential to have different opinions. Uh, one of the things I say, along with, and you were, you recall this earlier too, the uh, idea that I love sophomores, I love the age. I love 15, 16 years old, you're not on the gas pedal yet. They're not consumed with college, they're not consumed with driving, they're not consumed with getting out, they're consumed with being here and figuring out who they are. It's sort of, sort of a journey inward kind of time. I also, one of the first things I do is comment on that, the fact that they're present. And the second thing I comment on is we are all worthwhile. It was one of the first things I heard when I um, was taking my certification courses back in 1975, fall of 1975, um, local um, Penn State satellite campus. I took some courses just for the certification. And one of the first things the teacher said who was teaching the English content survey, I don't know, the um, how to teach English course. Um, the first thing he said was, we are all worthwhile. We are all worthwhile. We are all worthwhile. Absolutely, we're all worthwhile. We all have important life experiences to bring to the table. We speak the way we do because we come from a culture. We think the way we do because we come from a family that has its own experiences and attitudes. And the, the beauty of the classroom is, that, and it's so important for a democracy, so important to have a classroom where people feel absolutely free of judgment, where, where people are not. And the third thing that I say on that first day, used to say, I won't say it anymore, there will be no hunting. <laughs> it's at the point that, like, I don't, I don't know if you were in class at the, at the point when somebody got me a, a no hunting sign. You know those those uh, kind of 8 by 11 um, kind of signs you tack up on trees in the woods, no hunting, with big fluorescent orange letters? <laughs> yeah. Student, some students got me um, that sign. They had been, they were in a in a country market, an old kind of country market hard, hardware store type thing with sawdust on the floor. And uh, they came around. There was a spinny spinny cart of um, spinny tower of these silly signs. Um, and one of them was no hunting for me and gave it to me the next fall. So I had that up in my classroom. Um, just took that down this past August, and. Um, that I think is absolutely essential. And those mantras that we, we, as teachers, those mantras that we set down on that first day are so important. They, they gotta ring true. And there needs to be a whole lot of silence around those mantras. The first day is not the day to say, well, here's my syllabus, here's my rules, here's how you get an A. That is not the day to do that. First day is not the day to, to spew the, the peripheral, the things of peripheral importance. Grades are not important. It's what we are internalizing. It, it's, it's essential. And the, uh, we all want to be successful. We are all worthwhile. And there will be no hunting. It's very important that we protect the work of the classroom, the work of, of the community as a whole, and respect each other and have each other's backs 
the, the um, work of writing, of truly writing and putting ourselves out, out there, writing work of, of honesty and, and passion, we're not going to do that if we feel like we have to watch our backs with, from, and, and protect ourselves from judgments and sniping. So what did you do as a teacher if you observed that one or more students were hunting another student? I addressed it. I, one thing I do is invite, invite them to use me as a, as a measurement of that if I, and, and to say to them, if, if you ever see me hunting a student, I ask you, please, 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 to tell me. Hold me accountable to, the, to the, the rules that I'm setting up here. I will not disparage another human being as a, that human being is working to find himself or herself. And there are times when I, I did do that. There are times when I would, I would get frustrated and angry with a student, and then I would have to work through it. In the, and I did it in the classroom. I, I normally just felt my way or found my way through it in the classroom. Can you think of a time when you were a student, any age, and you shared a differing opinion or contrary opinion in class? And how did the students and teacher react? And how did their reaction make you feel? Mm. I had a wonderful teacher in elementary school. Her name was Gail Hamer. She had us read the most wonderful things. My dad was a shrink, and I would go home, and I would read, and uh, my parents would sometimes read the stories that I was reading. So my dad, uh, I remember talking with him. I don't remember what the story was, but I remember talking with him about about things that puzzled me about it. And he, he um, talked about it from a psychoanalytic perspective. This is, in, I don't know what grade it was. I'm thinking maybe third grade, fourth grade in elementary school. Now he didn't use words like, you know, um, subconscious or he didn't use any sort of jargon, but he, he talked about things from, he talked about the story through, the, uh, through this action in the subtext. And, um, that was like light years ahead of what we were doing in elementary school and particularly in, in um, central Pennsylvania, where I was growing up very square. And what do you mean by the actions in the subtext? Um, thoughts, feelings that bother us often only come out in the, in the subtext or in the, in the small, in the small movements in, or in moments of, of revelation. They don't, they don't come out. They're not like, okay, this is my issue and this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm doing this. It's just, it's, they're uncomfortable to us. Whatever these things, these feelings and issues are that uh, we are harboring, we are dealing with privately, we don't want to necessarily reveal them. They make us uncomfortable for whatever reason. So, um, but, the, but the, the feeling is still there and that ache to express I love the word express. I've talked about this in class so many times about the idea that it's like squeezing an orange and expressing the juice. The idea of getting it out. We want to. We want, 
because it bothers us, we want to heal it. We want to deal with it, but we don't. So we got that struggle going on. So it comes out almost against our will through the subtext or through a, a little motion or movement. Hmm. I love that. Yeah, I do too. That was one of the things that kept me in teaching for so long. We are beautiful people. Each and every one of us has the potential of being beautiful and, and uh, realizing our beauty. And, and that, I think, is, is what we all want to do. Yeah, we can all squeeze our oranges and be juice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So back to your relationship or maybe uh, experience in this elementary school class. Well, I, 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 was, I was blown away by a conversation I had with my dad um, about the story. I mean, he, he broke the story down and, and talked about it from a psychoanalytic perspective. And I was like, whoa, that's so cool. And I went into class just like, bursting with passion about about and wanting to talk about it and and i remember um her asking a question about any reactions to the story and so i i i and about x character and i wrote raised my hand and i and i kind of went off talking about the and and everybody was so quiet and then there was a pause and she I don't remember what the question, I obviously I don't remember the story either, but I, I, the question she asked next obviously had to do, it, it, it so obviously had to do with something superficial, something plot-driven and pedestrian. <laughs> and here I am in elementary school, looking at the seat going, she so doesn't get me. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, <laughs> but I loved her. I loved her. It's just, it was just, it was just, I recognize in that moment, I recognize there's a whole world out there that she knows nothing about. And it wasn't a matter of superiority. It was just a matter of, it was just an understanding that we spent our time differently. That's all. And, and I was very grateful to have my dad, you know, I was very grateful to have another world of experience. Just like my daughter was very grateful to have another world of experience from the year that she spent in Senegal. This will always, her family will always be her family over there, you know, and, and she has those life experiences that are going to just enrich her every step of the way. We need to, we need to surround ourselves with people of different experiences, different points of view. We're all worthwhile. And it's exhilarating when we open ourselves up to that. Teacher Linda and Teacher Claire are a dynamic teaching duo in first grade at Friends Select School in Center City, Philadelphia. And I was their classroom's ASP teacher. ASP stands for After School Program. And that was for parents who need to work a nine to five job and can't pick their kids up right at the end of the school day. Um, I also assisted teacher Linda and Claire in their day school class when all the teachers were on overload during the pandemic. Teacher Linda has been teaching for over 30 years, mostly in first grade, and most enjoys teaching how to read and write. Teacher Claire has been teaching for around 15 years, 
and also loves teaching how to read and write. But the way that children can explore their curiosities in social studies and their problem solving in math also fascinates her. So yeah, they are a wonderful pair and were so fun to work with. How can a teacher facilitate a classroom in which it's okay for students to be wrong or share a different opinion? <laughs> I have to laugh because in my in my classroom I I um I often, you know, I'll make mistakes or I'll forget that we're supposed to be doing something. And I know some teachers will sort of plan to do that as a way of demonstrating that it's okay to make mistakes. But for me, it's, you know, it's real and it's okay. And I learned, um, I learned a long time ago that, um, that teaching is not about um, knowing everything. And I want my students to, to feel that way, that we don't know everything and that it's, uh, it's really important to take risks and try. And so we have a, a very firm um, expectation that people can say something and it's going to be okay. They're not going to be laughed at. You might hear teacher Claire or me say, well, it was really brave of you to try that or that's close, but, you know, and move on and, and get other ideas. And I think that, um, that in, in allowing or encouraging children starts on day one and it's always there because there was always this idea that I, it has to be perfect. I want it to be right. And for um, we're teaching children um, content, but we also are working hard on helping them build habits of learning. And you, if you don't, if you don't make mistakes, you probably aren't taking any risks. And so we, we, talk a lot about that when we're just setting expectations about how we treat each other, that you can't laugh at someone or make comments about what they said. You know, as I'm listening to teacher Linda speak, you know, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think it really starts with the, um, the expectations that we set in the classroom. And so we spend a lot of time building the classroom community. And then we're also fortunate to be in um, a school whose mission, right, we're Quaker-based school, we're faith-based school, and um, it's really like our mandate, right, that, that we are committed to a fair and just world. So it's part of, you know, what we model and teach, and it's okay to, to teach ethics, morals, you know. And, you know, I, I will just add to this idea of, of um, being in a, a Quaker school, we're expecting um, to take care of each other in the way that we expect them to go out and take care of the world, in, you know, in, in varying degrees. And if you really are, are thinking um, in this whole way about the people you come in contact with, then you're expecting the best of them and they're expecting the best of you. And, and when, you know, those relationships are in that way, you can take a risk. You can be wrong, you know, thinking if that's how you you approach the world and you want, uh, you, you give that grace to other people as well. The, the chance to make a mistake, to be wrong and to still be whole. Can you share a memory of when you were wrong or shared a different opinion? in front of a class and 
when you did that, how did you feel? I actually have one, and it's it's just, you know it's one of these um, things that I remember, and it, it does inform the way I interact with children. I think I was in third grade, and um, and I was in a classroom. We were studying geography, and the teacher, who's um, I mean his. Um, I can't remember his name, but I can see his face. He was actually the uncle of one of my good friends. But one of the the things that stands out for me is in that on this particular day, uh, he was teaching a geography class and he called on me to come up and find something on the globe and I couldn't find it. And, And I don't remember his exact words, but he said something that I realize now as an adult was like really sarcastic and, and it was cutting. I don't even know what the words were, but I remember feeling hot and all the kids laughed. And, um, and I was just, I felt so small and so, you know, just getting, I think I sort of stumbled back to my seat. I just, it had such a powerful, um, left such a powerful um, impression on me as a teacher I realized that, that he probably doesn't even remember that comment, but as a teacher, I was I hold that as a reminder of how powerful um, my words are when I'm talking to kids. It, it can be the difference between a student feeling like, you know, again, we're talking about making mistakes. Wow, I couldn't find it, but it was okay. Uh, or feeling like, oh, I felt terrible, like stupid. I could never do geography. I don't want any child to feel mortified in front of their peers, even if they've done something that's, you know, beyond the, I mean, I think they should know they've done something beyond the pale, but that they shouldn't feel um, as if they're a bad person or incapable of being better. Yeah. Not letting that one slip up define the class for the rest of the year for them. Like, Mm -hmm. He's the kid who didn't know where South America was or something. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, teacher Claire, have you had time to think for one? Um, yeah. This this memory, um, school the school memory um, involves me, but I wasn't the one. That was accused of being wrong, but I'm feeling a sense of unfairness in that situation. Does that count as a memory? Yeah, that, totally. Uh, That's great. <laughs> so uh, I came to this country, um, you know, at the age of five and started kindergarten here. Um, and it was in the South Bronx. What's that? 19, in, the, in the 1970s. And so public school in the South Bronx is pretty rough and tough. Um, so my kindergarten year learning English, um, because I was so hungry for, you know, this kind of enrichment and, and, and learning at that time that, um, you know, I picked up English very quickly and, you know, really loved being in school and kindergarten. I think it was in the first grade, um, you know, at that time too, like the, some of the schools and my school in particular, you know, we had PE and, um, lunch all in the basement gym and it was a harsh setting where all the lower school kids all the elementary school kids you know ate lunch in the gym in the 
Um, and so we had this lunch lady <clears throat> and there, you know, fights the, the, the lunch lady who was also the gym teacher, who was also <laughs> the one who supervised all the kids and, you know, fights would break out and so forth. And I remember being afraid of this one girl who was in a lot of fights. And at some point, this is my first experience being in a physical fight in, in school. And, um, we we got it. I'm not sure what. I mean, my memory is that I think she might have called me a racial slur, and um, I, you know, talked back, and she whacked me, and then we got into a tumble, a rumble, and so and she pulled my hair, and so there was this, and so the lunch lady who takes care of uh, supervises the children came over, and you know, came in and stopped and pulled us apart, and. You know, I was um, waiting for, you know, the consequence of being in a physical fight. Um, and what happened was she took this girl, yelled at her and punished her and sent me back off to having lunch. And I remember thinking, wait a second, she has no idea what happened. And why is this other child in trouble when um, she and not me. So I was feeling the sense of that we were both wrong and that we both should have had, you know, a talk and consequences. And I was surprised at how I didn't. Um, and I was even at that time, even though I didn't know the language of, of, of race, um, I had the sense that there was this racial bias. The other girl was black and I was, you know, I'm Korean. Asian. And so I, even though I didn't have the language of stereotype or bias, I had that sense. And I remember feeling that and being troubled by it when, when I was in the first grade. Wow. That's my story. <laughs> I love that story, Claire. <laughs> I could just see you. Michael Gary is the head of school at Friend Select School in Center City, Philadelphia. That's the school I was an after-school teacher at. And he's been in education for close to 30 years, mostly in administrative positions, including director and associate director of admissions in other schools. He's taught economics and coached basketball and golf. I asked him what his specialty role was as head of school, and he said that it's ultimately taking care of people. And this looks like making his staff and faculty feel comfortable to bring their authentic selves to work and ensuring them that family comes first. And he also wears a bow tie every day, at least on school days. How can a teacher facilitate a classroom in which it's okay for students to share differing opinions? Um, that's a beautiful question. Um, I think it starts with making sure uh, the relationship that the teacher has with students and students with students is real and meaningful and substantive. Um, I think that needs to be there first. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean you need to like everybody, but you need to see everybody. 
and appreciate that everyone's experience adds to the learning, adds to the teaching, adds to the content. And so if you establish that and the students really embrace that, then you as a teacher, just like a conductor in an orchestra, uh, can, can, can bring magic music, a, a symphony, uh, 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 just beautiful music, if you will. Uh, but the players and the instruments just need to feel good about their role and, and not try to be another instrument. Right, because if the conductor sees value in each instrument or each musical section, then everyone's going to want to play together. Absolutely. And together, that's when you make beautiful music. Totally. <laughs> that's a wonderful metaphor. And this next question will require you to go back into your memory. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. So can you share a memory of when you were wrong or shared a different opinion in class? And... How did students react to you, and how did you feel? Boy, it was a long time since I was in a classroom. Um, I talked to teacher Linda and teacher Claire, and yeah, they went way far back, but they they plucked oh, one. <laughs> okay, I, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going way back. Jack, I am a senior in high school, and so this is 81, 82. And the course is the Vietnam War course. And the first question the teacher asked was, when did it start? And I, just full of confidence, blurted out the answer. And, and, and mind you, I'm in the front of the row. So full of confidence. <laughs> <laughs> I, shot out, I shot out 68, 68, 69. And so the teacher proceeded to ask, so why are you so confident? I said, oh, because I, every night I used to watch it in the news with my parents or my mom. And that's, it, it was happening, not realizing <laughs> I was giving the answer based on my seeing it for the first time when we got our television. <laughs> was it late, your family's first television? Uh, what was that? Was it your family's first television? Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So full of confidence. And uh, whereas probably the other kids did their reading, <laughs> they realized it's on our way before then. Um, it was, you know, battling with the French actually before the U.S. took over. Wow. That's so good. I have to admit that I wouldn't be able to answer that now. I just associate it. <laughs> I just totally associate it with the 70s and my dad and mom growing up during that time being anti-war. So Interesting. It actually started in, the 50, it started in the 50s with the French. And, and the French were about to lose. And they said, you know what? We're done. So the U.S. said, no, you can't yield to communism. So they, we stepped in and you know what happened then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Barbara Given is a person very close to my heart. I used to work for her at the Stoplight Gelato Cafe, which is a business that she and her son started in Richmond, Virginia. 
This is when I was going to college. And her son sadly passed away, but she continued the business in memory of him because it was his dream. In regards to Barbara's teaching career, she's taught all over the country, West Coast, in the South, East Coast, and she's taught uh, elementary school age students specializing in special education and reading. And she's also taught graduate students how to teach at a community college level. And she was also principal for two years at a special education school in Baltimore. How can a teacher facilitate a classroom in which students feel safe to share differing opinions? Uh, well, first of all, number one, whatever age you're teaching, the students must have an understanding that you care for them. There's that old saying, students don't care what you know until they know you care. Oh. And so and so if you really want them to learn something, you want to make sure that they have a sense that no matter what the questions they ask or what they express or, or different issues, that you'll you'll show them uh, respect and and honor their uh, misunderstanding or their understanding or what they want to talk about. And so it doesn't matter. Kids or students don't care what you know until they know you care. Mm -hmm. Can you recall a memory when you shared a differing opinion in class? And how did the teachers or classmates respond? And how did that make you feel? I'm trying to think of an example. And no, I can't remember a time when I was forthright and shared an opinion that was was uh, caused the teacher to react either positively or negatively. I just was pretty much a, a compliant student who didn't want to rock the boat on and make myself look more stupid than I felt mm. uh, by uh, challenging anything. Do you remember an opinion that you wanted to share but didn't? No, because generally I'd talk, I'd talk to myself and, and uh, give myself, you know, kind of take myself off the hook in one way or another and try to see the other person's point of view. Mm, and uh, and I uh, talk with my mom about it. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I remember early on in school, in elementary school, when the teacher put A E I O U on the chalkboard. But at that time, they all said the same sound, according to my hearing. I didn't hear any distinction between one sound and the other. And I went home and I told my mother, mom was a was the cook at this elementary school. Or, yeah, elementary school. Your mom was the cook of the elementary school? Uh-huh. Yeah. And she was good friends with my 
first, second, and third grade teachers. Uh, and they are this one teacher at this year that I'm talking about, her name was Miss Street. And Miss Street and my mom would be chatting and then they'd laugh. And so I thought, well, I asked Mama, what are you talking about? She said, oh, we just tell funny stories to each other and the jokes. And so, um, so I went home that day and I said to Mom, guess what? Miss Street has told us a joke today. And she says, well, what was it? I said, it's really, really funny, Mom. It's really funny. <laughs> and so I told her she put these different letters on the board and they all sounded just the same. Isn't that funny? And my mom says, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> my mom didn't know I was struggling so with learning to read. and. Uh, and so that that was just how I'd handle it. I'd just go home and uh, you know, I wouldn't say out loud to the teacher, they all sound the same. You know, you're saying they sound different, but they really don't sound different. <laughs> you're just making that up. <laughs> okay, bing, bing, bing. Now it is time for Barbara Givens' extra slightly off topic story about her teacher sending her to the custodian because she couldn't read. Uh, I've never have any, ever have had any trouble relating to people of different ethnicities. Um, in fact, the first black uh, man I ever knew or person I ever knew was when I was in sixth grade and we'd moved from our rural community to the county seat in Poria, Kansas, uh, and um, because I still couldn't read, and um, the teacher didn't know what to do with me, so she did the best thing she could think of. She sent me to work with the custodian whenever the class had science or health or social studies or any reading to do. So instead of letting me there, stay there and learn as much as I could by listening and and all she sent me to work with a custodian uh i wondered well what will i do working with a custodian will i empty trash will i use one of those big wide brooms and sweep what will i do to help the custodian and he was the nicest man my gosh was he nice and uh, he always called me little lady and uh <laughs> uh he didn't know what to do with me so one day he brought in a coloring book and each page had a different animal on it, and uh, the single animal c basically covered the whole page. And he said, now you look through this, and you find that animal that you like best. And if I'd known what I was going to be asked to do with it, I would have chosen something else. But I chose a little Scotty dog with fur sticking out everywhere. So he had me trace this Scotty dog on two pieces of of um, pine wood, three-quarter inch pine pine wood, and a uh, foot square. He says, now, wouldn't you, maybe this is toward the first of the year, wouldn't you like to make a pair of bookends for your mama for Christmas? Oh, yes, yes, that would be wonderful, I thought. And so here he is, a custodian, black, and you know he wouldn't have been making very much money. He bought this coloring book the carbon paper, the board, and then 
he brought in this coping saw. Mm-hmm. You know what? Uh, it, little skinny blades mm-hmm. and rounded back. And um, he says, now we have to cut these out. I said, cut them out. He says, no, I'm going to show you how to use a coping saw because the blade is very fragile. and You have to treat it with care. So he demonstrated and taught me how to use the coping saw. And I'd be sawing away now. I had every day to work with him, so I thought, you know, it took a long time, but uh, but I had the book, the, both of them cut out by Christmas and painted or whatever. At any rate, in the process, a, a blade would break. I said, "Oh, I broke another blade," and he said, "Now, little lady, you have to remember that coping saw blades are like people; they're very fragile." You have to treat them with care. He said it so many times I've memorized it. And I thought, well, that was, that's a good thing. I'll remember that. <laughs> and then sometimes I'd whine a little bit and cry a little bit and say, this is so hard. He'd say, now, little lady, you have to remember that the board is like life, and you have to learn to saw through it. Oh, Wow. I said, oh, I guess that means it's my job to figure out how to take care of myself in this world. You know, I really internalized both of these wise men's statements because he told them to me so many times. Thank you so much for listening to this interview. If you are a current or former teacher or student, please, please submit your own written answers to these two questions. You can email them to me at jack at caferibbit.com. And I will likely post your written answers to the caferibbit.com blog post. So you can read everybody else's answers there as well. And you can be anonymous or named. If you're listening to this interview on a platform that is not caferibbit.com, I'll try to include the link to the caferibbit.com blog post in the description box of whatever platform you're using. And if you want to subscribe to caferibbit.com, you can on the website, and you'll get a newsletter of interviews, recipes, and artwork. So please come visit the cafe and get yourself a cup of coffee. Yeah! (laughs) Um, Okay, to sign off, thank you so much, teachers. I loved listening to your stories and your wise, wise wisdom. Bye-bye.